So, why do we keep meeting like this? A reading from an ancient book, saying these prayers, singing these songs week after week, year after year. Not everyone still meets like this. The chances are that if you went to church as a young person, many of those who went with you no longer go. The Church of England recently celebrated a jubilee, the 70th consecutive year of numerical decline. So why do we keep meeting like this? Recently, at something called the Deanery Chapter, where local clergy meet up, the conversation turned to life in parishes since lockdown. Over 20 years, said one man, I've seen my congregation rise from 40 to 70. But now it's collapsed to barely half that. Key volunteers, he said, are exhausted. They've stood down, they need a break. Other clergy murmured in understanding. I thought how hard it must be to be a vicar today. Another vicar said that since the pandemic, people had less capacity, less engagement, and more entitlement. It got me thinking about this community, the one that we share, where we've slowly, haltingly been returning to ourselves, but where some people who were once regular are less present, and some people are absent. Some people moved out of London during lockdown, and some just, they lost that Sunday morning habit. Church going changed. Joining online meant that we could choose what parts of the service to tune into and no one would know, or choose not to tune in at all, and no one would know, to do something else. Imagine having a free morning. The pandemic changed our working patterns and our friendship networks and how we relate to church. So why do we keep meeting like this? Here's a different question. Coming to church, what is it like? Here's some suggestions. Sometimes church is like a school or a college where we consider the divine call on all of our lives and how to walk in the way of Jesus. That's right. Other times, church is like a show where a priest celebrates the theater of the Eucharist and we all join in with the show tunes. Or it might be like a club. On a good day, a club which is focused on the needs of people who are not in the club. Other times, church is like a market where we consume ideas or invitations, prayer and company. Church might be like a campaign or a movement where we become part of something bigger, working for the common good. Other times, church is like a clinic or a hospital where people who recognize they are unwell, all of us at different times, may find healing, well-being, balance and forgiveness. School, show, club, market, movement, hospital. A church may be all of these. The odd thing is that Jesus of Nazareth may never have meant us to be here this morning. He never planned on this thing we call church. He was interested in community. He gathered 12 friends, they talked and traveled, they ate together and they supported each other. He wanted to reform elitist religious practice. Nothing made him more furious than the hypocrisy of religious professionals. He told stories about justice and prayer and healing, 
stories about compassion, like the one that we heard earlier, stories with a twist, where the so-called righteous people, in this story it's a priest, walk straight past those in desperate need. In his stories, it's the outsider, maybe the immigrant or the foreigner. In this story, it's someone from Samaria, who are those who stop and make time for the wounded person. The stories of Jesus were about another kind of world, where the first were last and the last first, where the bereaved and the prisoner and the hungry and the broke traveled first class. But a foundation in his name, an institution, not really. That mainly emerged among his followers, especially Paul a few years later. In her book, Leaving Church, the writer and priest Barbara Brown Taylor puts it like this. Jesus preached the coming of the kingdom, but it was the church that came. All these years later, the way many of us are doing church is broken, and we know it, even if we do not know what to do about it. We proclaim the priesthood of all believers while we continue with hierarchical clergy, liturgy, and architecture. We follow someone who challenged the religious and political institutions of his time while we fund and defend our own. We speak and sing of divine transformation while we do everything in our power to maintain our equilibrium. But slowly, how we think about church is changing. In the past, says Professor Linda Woodhead at King's College in London, religions like Christianity or Judaism offered packages of belief or values, and people met to discuss the holy writings and make sure everyone had the right beliefs. But now, she says, religion is deregulating itself. It's no longer about a separate sphere under the control of the religious authorities. Religions, she says, are being democratized. Faith may be handed on to us, say by our parents, but then we handle it ourselves. We shape it, mold it, curate it. We no longer just accept it. And in this deregulated religion, we're more likely to customize our own beliefs. Take Dave here in the blue shirt, who won't mind me telling you this because I checked beforehand. As a younger man, he was highly influenced by the charismatic Christian and house church movement. He, he didn't smuggle Bibles into communist country, that was his partner Hillary, but he did go abroad as a missionary. He went to Italy to try and convert the Catholics. But if you ask him today what he believes, he'll tell you, ah, I'm not so sure about God, maybe. He's more in tune with Buddhism, certainly a kind of Christian Buddhism. But he hasn't given up on Christianity because he's so attracted to its mystical and social justice expressions. And that's the faith that drives his political activism. Two of the signs of deregulated religion, says Linda Woodhead, are first, that this religion is highly participatory. She says, people don't want to sit passively anymore. They want to be active agents in their own spiritual lives. So forms of religion that encourage participation are thriving. Maybe this is what that vicar I heard meant when he said people are feeling more entitled. They want to take part, to collaborate, to share ownership of their churches. If that were to happen, then churches would not be called St. Thomas's or St. George's or St. Luke's, but St. Everyone's. Second, says Professor Woodhead, 
religious leaders have to think less about leading people in the old sense and more about partnership. She says it's more about facilitating, encouraging and offering resources to people as they live out their spiritual lives. Last year, George, who's not here this morning, and this story will explain why, said he loved the community of St. Luke's, but the services didn't really press his buttons or those of his 20-something friends. Would it be okay if a bunch of them started their own thing? It would be okay. So they meet together on alternate Mondays and they run their own show. The daily prayer group, which began during lockdown, still draws people for 25 minutes on Zoom most days. Some, like Rebecca, moved away during lockdown, while some, like Michael and Jenny, live thousands of miles away. The group leads itself, someone new every day. Or craft and chat on Thursdays, led by Lizzie and Meg, a creative meeting for those for whom English is not their first language. Each of these groups is small, provisional, and fragile, emerging from the bottom up, not the top down. So what about Sunday services like this one, where many of us feel a sense of St. Luke's identity? Are we here to attend or to participate? I remember Crispin telling me about 10 years ago, at that time he said, I come to church to sing in the choir. If I couldn't sing, I probably wouldn't come. For him, participation is all. Church is not about attending, but about owning. So why do we keep meeting like this? For many reasons, but underneath all of them, what we are doing is enacting our faith. We are here to behave our beliefs. Pope Benedict, who was the one before Francis, said that the Christian message was not only informative, but performative. We're not here just to believe, but to behave. The good news of Jesus Christ, he said, is not merely a communication of things that can be known. It is one that makes things happen and is life-changing. So we keep meeting like this to change ourselves and to change our world. Not to announce good news, but to become the good news. We are here, as the community of theologian Anne Morrissey puts it, not just to recite prophecy, but to enact prophecy. This is why, even though they can go on a bit, no part of our service is holier than the notices at the end. Tara promoting the food bank, Dan or Steph planning the winter night shelter, Holly announcing a climate demo. This is a community hoping to behave their beliefs, to enact their prophecy. So why do we keep meeting like this? Our habits changed during the pandemic, but habits are the scaffolding of our lives. And when we meet together to pray, or hear the Bible, or share bread and wine, we are forming habits, changing our characters. We are becoming people more able to discern the divine will on the other days of the week, when difficult choices overwhelm us, or dark events confront us. By sharing life together, we learn from each other and we stumble upon the divine presence between us in our connections. We practice the life that we believe in. For instance, when we share the peace, as we will later in the service, we are enacting the life we believe we are called to, to be peacemakers. When we pray, it's because we believe the divine spirit is present for good in all of history. 
Sam Wells, who's the vicar of St. Martin's in the Fields, that big one on Trafalgar Square, he calls this improvising. Being part of a church is where we learn our lines so that we can improvise our faith the rest of the time. We play our parts so that in the rest of life, as he puts it, we can faithfully improvise the Christian tradition. School, show, club, market, movement, hospital. Why do we keep meeting like this? Because this is where we practice our faith and rehearse our religion. This is where we learn our lines so that we can improvise our role as followers of Jesus during the rest of the week. This is where we restore our souls to live in this good world that we share. Amen.